So we're going to be reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you uh, that you confound uh, man's wisdom and his cleverness Lord, you display your power and your glory and your magnificence uh, through things unlooked for. Lord, uh, the Son of God in a manger. Lord, a king, uh, immortal king who dies. Lord, what an incredible God you are, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would today um, remind us of the God that we worship who works in such incredible ways that you would grow our faith uh, through that, Lord, that we would see that you will act in ways that will uh, amaze us, Lord, and we should expect to be amazed by you. Lord, we pray that uh, for any who are here with us today, hearing this, Lord, that you would call them, Lord, that you would uh, give them new hearts today, uh, even as they listen to the message preached, Lord, and that they would want that relationship with your son, Lord, that they would want uh, life eternal, Lord, um, that they wouldn't be uh, seekers of uh, signs or uh, wisdom through man's means, Lord, uh, but would submit before you. Lord, uh, we pray that uh, you would give Tom the words to say this morning and uh, us the ears and hearts to hear. In your name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. No other power, no other wisdom. What is wisdom? Uh, to define wisdom, we have to have a right definition of, of truth. The world has both of those definitions entirely wrong because the world starts with the creature rather than the creator. Truth, as God represents it in his word to man is that which is real concerning God, including God's relationship, his connection with man and with all of his creation. Wisdom, as God presents it in his word to mankind, is the God-given moral skill to embrace and act upon truth. We say that again, wisdom as it's presented in the scriptures is 
the God-given moral skill to embrace and to act upon truth. We can't have a right definition of wisdom unless we acknowledge the unbreakable relationship between wisdom and truth and, and unless we embrace God's definition of both. The words God-given are, are central to everything that we're going to consider this morning, really everything we've been considering since we started this letter. The God-given moral skill to embrace and act upon truth, but having that skill and having the power to put it to use are not the same thing. Uh, we, can, we can embrace wisdom, we can love wisdom and delight in wisdom, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have the power and the ability to apply wisdom to life. Uh, and without that power, uh, wisdom's just, it's just, uh, it's pretty, but it doesn't accomplish anything. In the passage Nathan just read for us, Paul identifies two sources through which we who belong to Christ have been given both wisdom and power. The wisdom of God and the power of God. Not some other version of either of those, but the wisdom of God and the power of God. And those two sources are Christ himself and the word of the cross. The word of the cross is the message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Now the person and the message about the person and his completed work, that is the source of, of godly wisdom and of, of God's power. Now the message, uh, the message did not pay the debt of our sin. <laughs> the person did. Jesus did. But what makes the message, what makes the word of the cross the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16, what makes the message the power of God is the Holy Spirit who convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment through the message, who opens blind eyes and deaf ears, and who applies the message to spiritually dead hearts to give life to the dead. The Bible declares of itself that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to, to discern, to lay bare the innermost thoughts of the heart. That's the Spirit working through the Word. The same Holy Spirit whom Paul says in chapter 2 has revealed to us things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not even occurred to the heart of man. By the way, the elders have determined that before we proceed to 2 Corinthians, we're going to spend some time, at least a few messages, pondering what the Bible tells us about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you guys will be with us for that. That's the, an understanding of, of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is something that many Christians have a fairly shallow grasp of, and it's critically important. Both the wisdom of God and the power that God has given us to actually follow Christ, to be as Christ in the world, have their source in the person and in the word concerning the person. And uh, <laughs> that means that, that in order for us to actually embrace the truth that's revealed in this letter and in all the others and to act on that truth, 
we have to look to those two sources, Christ and the word concerning Christ. All right. Foolishness ignores or denies the truth about God and about us. <laughs> it's the opposite of wisdom. Foolishness denies the truth, sets it aside, and lives in keeping with that denial. Foolishness is all around us. And all too often, foolishness is in the church. Paul equates the wisdom of the world with foolishness. He equates the wisdom of the world with foolishness. And that means that the very best that the unbelieving world ever does at understanding and embracing the truth, the best that the world does is that it doesn't understand or embrace the truth. What the world identifies as wisdom has nothing to do with wisdom. It's just plain foolishness. It doesn't matter how, how intellectually accurate it is. It doesn't matter how rightly it assesses things that are observed in nature. If it leaves God out, if it does not, if it does not derive from the source of Christ and the word concerning Christ, it's not wisdom as God defines it. It's foolishness. This morning, we're going to look back through Paul's first epistle to the, to the Corinthian saints, and we're going to contrast what the unbelieving world calls wisdom and power, and what God calls wisdom and power. At every point, our intent will be to consider the unbreakable connection that links true wisdom and true power with the word of the cross, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised. Now this, this great epistle is way too densely populated with that connection for us to, to cover all bases, but we're going to hit some of, the, some of the points that Paul has devoted the greatest attention to. I'm going to put up a series of slides to summarize one contrast at a time. There's a lot of overlap to these, so you'll, you'll see many connections. Uh, there's also a lot of overlap between the wisdom of God and the power of God. Paul doesn't even make a real sharp distinction in, in the passage we just read between those two, so that's all fine. We're going to start with what the, the letter tells us about wisdom, and we'll move, move on to what it says about power, again, recognizing there's not a, a, a real sharp line between the two. First stark contrast is what we've just been talking about, and that is the wisdom of the world says that the source of truth and of the wisdom to apply that truth is the individual. And that is, that is more prominent today than it's ever been in my lifetime in our culture. My truth and only my truth. I've seen that on an elementary school or middle school whiteboard in front of a class of students. My truth and only my truth. That's what tells me how I must live. Any notion that I am accountable to believe or act upon a truth that comes from outside of me is intolerable because it violates my self-determination. <laughs> the wisdom of God and the word of the cross tells us that the source of truth and of wisdom, the wisdom that tells us to act on that truth is the person of Christ and the message concerning Christ and him crucified. A second contrast, the wisdom of the world tells us that our own merit, our own goodness determines 
what we deserve and what we get in this life, whether it's from a God or from people or from karma or, or whatever else someone decides makes it well with them. The wisdom of God in the word of the cross. I uh, love how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. He says, but by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Who, listen to the wording here, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It doesn't come from us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in that, that discussion slash debate, don't doubt that it was a debate, <laughs> at, least, at least in one direction, <laughs> about the connection between gratitude and salvation. Uh, the gentleman presenting on the Muslim side said, he finally got around at the end to saying that the, that the way that works is that our acts of grateful obedience to a forgiving and merciful God offset our sins. That the, the, in effect, we atone for our sins by our gratitude and our grateful obedience to God. Every man-made religion, including many that label themselves as Christian, hold to some version of this fatal, man-sourced foolishness. The only favor that any human being will ever have in the eyes of our Lord, our perfectly holy, perfectly righteous God, and the only qualification that any human being will ever have to stand in the presence of God will be because of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The wisdom of the world says, this is interesting, 1 Corinthians 4, the wisdom of the world says, I have so much wisdom that I can look in your heart and I can tell you what's in there. And if, if, you tell me, if, you, if you tell me one thing and, I, and my amazing perception of what's in your heart is different, then I get to go with my amazing perception. There are, there are people in positions of Christian leadership who have crashed and burned because they bought into this nonsense. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and will disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. The word of the cross tells us that the judge of all mankind is Jesus. God knows us infinitely better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139, David said, Lord, your knowledge of me is too wonderful for me. Why would we think that we know the hearts of other people better than they do? Just hitting a few, hitting things in, just one after another, just trying to, to, to kind of work through some of these things in the book. The wisdom of the world, of course, says it's my body and I'll do what I want to with it. According to the world's sexual activity and the freedom to choose uh, boundaries in which that activity occurs, that's all the domain of the individual, which would make sense if we determined our own truth <laughs> and, and our own morality. But, of course, all that's foolishness to God. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, flee immorality. Every other sin is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are not your own. 
You think that's news in this culture? You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is, this is revolutionary, guys. That very same imitation wisdom, it's my body and I'll do what I want to with it, is used to has been used to justify tens of millions of abortions. The wisdom of the world <laughs> looks at us and it says, you Christians, you struggle with the same kinds of things, the same kind of lust and greed and anger and all the same things that non-Christians do. So, to avoid being hypocrites, you should stop trying to be like Jesus and admit that you aren't like Jesus. I've heard those very words before. The wisdom of God and the word of the cross, this is beautiful, guys. It says, and such were some of you. And Paul's talking about there in verses before that, adulterers sexually promiscuous promiscuous and engaging in homosexual sin, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, con artists. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That means made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we have been created in holiness and righteousness of the truth. By the grace of God, beloved, our true nature is our new nature in Christ. So, I mentioned, we, we talked about this some when we were looking at that passage before, but what's hypocrisy for a Christian? Hypocrisy uh, means, in liter the literal Greek is put, it it's, uh, it's, has to do with, with, uh, with theater and putting on a mask that hides the, it changes and hides the real person. Well, if, you're tr if your true nature is your new nature, then the greatest hypocrisy for a Christian is not to act like Christ. The greatest hypocrisy for a Christian is to buy the lie of Satan that says, because you're not, because you haven't been fully glorified yet and you don't look like Christ in every respect, quit doing that. Okay, that, Satan loves that when Christians buy that nonsense. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God in the power and in the word of the cross. The wisdom of the world says that your well-being depends on your station in life and your circumstance. If your job or your boss or your spouse or anything else about your situation isn't to your liking, change it. Your first loyalty must be to yourself. The wisdom of God and the word of the cross says your well-being doesn't depend on your station in life or your circumstance. Those things don't touch your well-being. So whether it's your spouse or your boss or anyone else, how other people treat you doesn't determine whether it's well with you. So don't be in a hurry, 1 Corinthians 7, don't be in a hurry to change your station, your circumstance. Instead, let your focus be on how God wants to use where he put you to accomplish his will. Even if you have a really painful relationship with your spouse, consider how God wants to put that to use. Read 1 Peter 3. The wisdom of the world that creeps into the church says God's grace gives me the liberty to enjoy 
everything that he's made. That's right. That's in 1 Timothy 4. But then it says, anyone who tries to limit that liberty is being legalistic and should be ignored or even maybe church disciplined. Well, at some level, that's an accurate statement. It's not supposed to be me limiting your liberty. It's supposed to be you limiting your liberty and me limiting mine in order, in order to, to show the love of Christ to one another. We voluntarily give up liberty that God has granted to us. In chapter 8, Paul says, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He's not denying that it's real, that the liberty is real. He's saying, don't let it be a stumbling block. He says, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. The word of the cross tells us that love voluntarily sets aside Liberty. Jesus had the right and the power to submit everything on, in creation to himself. He didn't even have to come from heaven to earth to do that. But when he came from heaven to earth, instead of, instead of submitting everything to himself, he humbled himself and he set aside the glory and the honor that rightly belongs only to him. And he did so all the way to the point of death on a cross. The word of the cross gives us the wisdom that we need to live on God's terms. The wisdom of the world says any distinction between the role or authority of a woman compared with the role or authority of a man in any context is intolerable. 1 Corinthians 11, 1-16, Paul has quite a bit to say about that. God's revealed design for headship and submission in the church and in every marriage is grounded in his design for creation, for mankind when he first made mankind. And it's patterned after the humble submission of Jesus to his Father during his first coming in order to save us for himself. And when I say it's patterned after, after the, the submission of the Son to the Father during his earthly incarnation, a good, a good place that drills right into that is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 to 25. Um, and I put 1 through 8 up there, but go to 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, and then chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Also Philippians 2. The wisdom of the world that, again, creeps its way into the church <laughs> leads some of us to conclude that Sunday mornings are our opportunity to put our spiritual gifts on display and to be recognized for our contribution to uh, the, the, the mission of the church and to the, to the holiness of our brothers and sisters. <laughs> All of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians tells us that our first assignment when we gather, our, our preeminent priority when we gather is to build up the body. To build up the body. Not ourselves. Not to exalt ourselves. And, and that means we talked about this when we were in that chapter. Even if you believe that the Holy Spirit is... is has impressed something on you that the, the body would be well served to hear, there are other considerations that you must take into, into account before you stand up. We don't want men to be shy about standing up, but we, we want every person who participates in, our, in the open worship to have as the priority the building up of the body of Christ. Not, not getting what you want to say out on the table. That's not the priority in chapter 14. You with me? Yeah. 
We love to blame the Holy Spirit for our the abuse of, of our liberty. And, and I'm as guilty of that. Let me be real clear here. I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Um, all right. The wisdom of the world tells us that there are many ways to God. <laughs> that nobody can actually, and this is one version of the world's wisdom. There are certainly religions that say there's only one way to God, but, and they're, they're still false. But there are many who say there, there are all kinds of different paths by which we will become acceptable to God, however they define God, and that, and that really nobody can know that one is truer than the other. As long as you believe something and you're sincere about it, you'll be okay. The wisdom of God in the Word of the Cross, it's, it's amazing how, how very crystal clear and exclusive it is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Starting at verse 1, now I make known to you, brethren. Reminds me of Acts 17 when he said to the Athenians who loved to, they loved when anyone would come and present anything as long as nobody said, this is the truth. And, and the Apostle Paul says, the, word you, the, the God that you worship in ignorance, I hereby declare to you. And he calls all men everywhere to repent and to turn to the one whom he has appointed. Okay. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. Is that clear enough? <laughs> if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, we find out later that believed in vain would be if the resurrection didn't happen, but it did. The resurrection of Jesus. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And I loved it when Janice this morning, she hit all these points in her baptism, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and the Twelve. Uh, after that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as if to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. <laughs> the wisdom of the world says that Christianity is a late comer to the stage of world religions. Buddhism and Hinduism, for instance, are presented as much, much older religions. The wisdom of God and the word of the cross tells us that, that God has been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ ever since he has been talking to human beings, first human beings, Adam and Eve. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's the Old Testament he's talking about. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to very, very many. The message which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the message by which we have been saved to the uttermost through faith in the one who proclaims it, whom it, pro it, it proclaims, that message is as old as the eternal decree of the eternal God. We would never know the good news, the word of the cross, apart from the miraculously consistent testimony of the Bible from beginning to end. That's how we know, is that God has spoken and he's told us and he's been telling us ever since mankind existed. 
Isn't it amazing when you think about it that mankind started with the knowledge of a redeeming God who provided an at the expense of the life, life's blood of an animal, he covered temporarily the sin of man in the garden. And then he said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. We spent, when we were in that, we, we spent one message on the gospel of Christ in the Old Testament, but we could have done a bunch of messages. We did eight messages once on that topic. Bible, the Old Testament's full of Christ. All right, so two contrasts. The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God and the word of the cross. Now we're going to move to contrasting the power of the world with the power of God in the word of the cross. The power, according to the world, the power, the ability to live in keeping with my truth comes from me, from inside me. I have to will myself to live the way that I believe that I should live. The power of God in the word of the cross declares that, that, the, that what we need, the ability, the power to live in keeping with God's truth, to put wisdom in the pra into practice is not our power. It's Christ's power. Paul says it's Christ, the wisdom, and the power of God. We receive that power only, only by trusting in him. Galatians 2.20, you guys hear me spout this one all the time, but it's... <laughs> Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I live my life in the flesh by trusting him, not by trusting me. Nothing comes from me. Nothing comes from me. That's the power of God and the word of the cross. The world's version of power, it says that the power that comes from me, the power that I can lay hold of through my efforts in this life, that will secure and protect what I need. The power of God and the word of the cross says that the weakness of God is stronger than whatever men can come up with. It says that, there, that God chose not many mighty. It says that he has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. The word of the cross tells us all that we need to know about power and weakness. The greatest and most decisive victory ever won in all of God's creation was won through the, through the humiliation, suffering, mockery, and, and horribly unjust death in terms of, the, of whether he deserved it or not. The, the death of Christ. Everything that, everything that we would say should not happen, God used it. He engineered it and he used it in order to obtain the greatest victory that has ever occurred. I love Colossians 2 at the end of, the, of it. It, says, it talks about how, how Christ, who, when our, our sins were nailed to the cross and canceled out by him, that was his victory over the powers that rule in this world. He put them on display. They didn't put him on display. He's, he's the victor. So power is perfected in weakness. We see, we're going to see that again in 2 Corinthians. The world's concept of power when it, does, when it, when it bleeds into the church, uh, it tells us that our own intellect, expertise, skill, 
giftedness, uh, everything that we do that impacts one another or the world in a worthwhile manner, it's it, that it that it has to be exceptional. We have to have we have to ex, we have to excel in some category in order to be useful. And and the apostle Paul says in First uh, Corinthians two, I came when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. See, I just came to tell you what he said. He says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How many of you can't do that? How many of you don't have what you need to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified? He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. On the power of God. I love the testimonies when folks come up here, my brother Ken and, and others, and they share, they, they share how God has just used plain old them in a way that has resulted in the transformation of a, of a heart, bringing someone out of darkness and into light. That's not us that does that. That's God that does that. And, and every single one of you has the power to do that because it's God's power. It's not yours. Again, when the power of the world seeps into the church, it tells us that those with the high visibility spiritual gifts have the greatest influence and should have the greatest authority in the church. The power of God and the word of the cross tells us there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, for the building up of the body. So if we're going to say that only, only people with certain kinds of gifts are going to be useful to God, we're saying that God didn't do a very good job of you know, of, of handling this. He says, doesn't matter if you're an eye or a foot, he intends to use you. Your role in the body is vitally important by God's intention. Every single one of you. The world's version of power um, says power is measured by the control that you have over others. And so there's this, there's this vigorous effort by by people who don't know the Lord to, to do whatever it takes to, to gain control over other people so that they can control what people do to them. Self-assertiveness, bravado, arrogance, even intimidation, if necessary, will keep you at the top of every pecking order. It will guarantee that you get what you need in life. Chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians blows that away. <laughs> Paul says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Arrogance and power are mutually exclusive. Power and authority are found in humble dependence on God and in self-denying service of men. Just look at Christ. Just look at Christ. The world's version of power says if someone causes you harm, even if it's a Christian, take them to court. 
If that's the only way to get what is due to you. <laughs> Word of the cross, by the way, tells us that the only thing that is due to us is the eternal condemnation of a holy God. You want your inalienable human right? There you have it. The Word of the cross, 1 Corinthians 6, 7 says it's Actually, it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another in the body of Christ. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Wow. I can't add anything to that. The world's version of power says always be on the lookout for bad intentions from others toward you. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot safer to believe the worst of people than to believe the best, because if you believe the worst, you've got your guard up. You're, you're going to be protected. Don't be taken advantage of. Sharp boundaries. Power of God and the word of the cross says love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Again, all you got to do is look at Jesus. This was talked about in the worship today. Jesus didn't protect himself. He didn't even defend himself from the hurtful intentions and false accusations of others. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if we stopped trying to vindicate ourselves? if we stop trying to, to prove that, that the, the things that people think of us or say about us that are hurtful are false. It'd be something if we just said, you know what, whatever, whatever you believe about me, the truth is worse. Because what I've done to violate the character of a holy God, you're not even touching how bad that is in your accusations against me but I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been brought into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only holiness that I possess, the only goodness that I possess is Him and me. That would change a lot of conversations. I know I've got to wrap this up here. The, the, the world's version of power says that death is to be avoided at all costs. Whatever power you have, you need to use it to push death as far down the road as you can. It is astonishing how much money, how much energy, how much emotion, how much effort is expended in this world to kick that can down the road as far as it can be. Protect yourself from life-threatening illnesses, life-threatening enemies. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the word of the cross, says to us, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, when this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, <laughs> death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The death and resurrection of Jesus have destroyed the curse of death for all who trust in him. We don't have to squander our earthly lives <laughs> trying, to, trying to push down the road something that's actually no threat to us at all. Just a bump in the road. This great epistle is about the wisdom of God and the power of God in the word of the cross. The message, the truth that God has revealed to us about the person and the, and the perfectly finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray as we move on to the next, to, to other topics and themes and then, and then into 2 Corinthians, that I pray that every one of us will, uh, that, that we, will, we will ponder these things for the rest of our lives. We'll come back to this book often. There is so much treasure in this letter. This is a contrast that is as stark as a contrast can get. This is real wisdom. This is real power. And it all, all, all of it is in Christ, Christ Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our, our time in this, uh, in this beautiful letter. It's hard to even recap it because there's just so much in it. Father, you are so gracious to, to tell us these things and to make them so clear. You're so gracious, Lord, to, uh, to show us how vastly different your ways are than the ways of this world. Teach us to cling to Christ, to find our power, to find our wisdom, to find our hope only in Him. And we ask it in His precious name. Amen.